0: Welcome to another episode of The End of Sport, a podcast on capitalist sport, labor, and harm in sporting culture with your hosts Johanna Mellis, Nathan Kalman-Lamb, and Derek Silva. If you're enjoying the show, please reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at endofsportpod or check out our website at www.theendofsport.com where you can find details on how to support the show via Patreon. With that said, We hope you enjoyed this episode of The End of Sport. Verity Smith is a rugby player who holds numerous important roles as part of his work on gender inclusive and expansive policies in sport. For example, he is the diversity and inclusion leader for the International Gay Rugby, as well as chief diversity officer for the World Barbarians Foundation Rugby Club. Verity, moreover, is the trans inclusion and in sports youth worker at Mermaids, a UK-based organization that since 1995 has focused on supporting transgender, non- non-binary, and gender-diverse young people and their families. We are also joined here today by Abby Barras, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Brighton. Her research engages directly with transgender, including non-binary, people. It asks what barriers people may or may not be facing when accessing sport. And her research also looks to place these stories centrally and make recommendations for gender inclusivity. She has written a fantastic piece for The Conversation, as well as an academic article for the journal British Menza's Androgyny, both pieces of which we, which we will be exploring in the interview and that we will link in the show notes. Abby, moreover, is also a researcher at Mermaids. Verity and Abby, we are absolutely delighted that you are joining us today.
1: Thank you, Thank you, Joanna.
0: So we'll start today on um, the way we always do on the end of sport, which is to ask, how are you two doing in the time of the ongoing pandemic in the UK? And maybe we'll start with Verity first.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I, de- I think it's definitely been an interesting process, um, sp- specifically around sports and, and mental health. A lot of people have been struggling during this lockdown and not being able to access sport has, has been hard. I know it's been hard for myself. I play wheelchair rugby um, and not being able to have that connection with my teammates and, and get out there has definitely made an impact on my mental health and also being able to get out as well um, with being a wheelchair user. It's, it's been a bit of a struggle um, getting to the places that you normally need. So um, for me, I'm looking forward now to, to coming out of that and, and seeing what that means for the, for the rest of the country as well.
2: Yeah, it's been, um, it's been quite a wild ride here for me as well. I've been homeschooling, so juggling homeschooling. I have a 10-year-old son, so with working and with finishing my PhD, which I've, which I've just submitted as well. But I'm really lucky. We live right by the coast, so very grateful for having um, those walks and swimming. I know you're a swimmer, Johanna. I'm a, I'm a swimmer as well, so having that on our doorstep, um. Really helped when we needed those days to reset and have some fresh air. So all in all, we've done really well. Thank you. I hope I hope you've all been okay too.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I think same as both of y'all in terms of just you know the the, the mental health, the stress of just not being able to, to you know to do the things that help us kind of feel okay and kind of healthy and those sorts of things. But we we've all managed to be healthy and our families more or less have been healthy. I mean, it's it's been a, a year for sure. Um, um, and then, also, of course, congratulations for submitting your dissertation. That is, it's such a process. So, so many, many congrats on that.
2: Yeah, I'm watching a lot of telly.
0: <laughs> That's that sounds wonderful and, and very appropriate. <laughs> um, and so, before we kind of dive into the questions, uh, we want to make it very, very clear to listeners what our t- what our stance is on the topic of transgender athletes, and of course, on LGBTQ um, plus athletes broadly and that we totally support, validate, and welcome the full inclusion in in sport. And we we don't want there to be any question about that. Uh, We are not here today to debate, quote unquote, their engagement or contribution to sports. Um, Rather, we are focusing our conversation on the truly incredible and hard work that Verity and Abby are doing to offer support, opportunities, and research that are aimed to protect transgender athletes and people. Um, and, and so that being said, um, I was wondering if we could start with Verity with, in, in terms of seeing if you could explain to us your understanding of trans and LGBTQ plus inclusion in sports. And Abby, we of course welcome your thoughts about it um, after Verity.
1: Um, in regards to my personal views on this, and, and as I say, these are my personal views, everybody's got a right to play sport. So for the LGBT community, we've seen a lot of, um, especially around the LGBTQ be part of this. We've seen a lot of inclusion work over the years for women in sport and gay men um, within sport. We're now seeing more work done uh, for anyone who, are, who also identifies as gender diverse as well. But a, a lot of the conversations have been missing out on, on the T part of that. So anyone who's trans, non-binary and gender diverse. And I think we need to start having these conversations now because over the years we've seen that hum- humans uh, within the world were changing and again we need to make sure that sport's changing with us as well because sport isn't changing we're still seeing the same policies we're still having the same conversations and if humans are changing then sport needs to start evolving with that as well and i think anything that supports inclusion that can support physical health mental health and gives people a place that they can call home they can make friends and i think when we look at sport as well we don't just play sport we don't just learn the rules of that sport it gives us a sense of family it gives us a sense of achievement and for a lot of people as well it's about learning life skills and especially for young people they'll learn social skills through sport and they'll use that to meet their peers and make friends for the rest of their lives as well so i think we need to start having these conversations and they are difficult conversations But I think they need to be needed, they need to be spoken about and we need to be having them in safe spaces where people can feel that they're able to talk around this as well so that they don't have to hide part of themselves so they're not going to be scared to come out and and talk about their experiences just because they're scared that they're going to be kicked out of their sport. So we need to have an open and clear and transparent conversation and we we, we need to start having those conversations now.
2: Yeah, no, that's a really, really um, important answer there from Verity. And I think it's also really important to just let the audience know that I don't, I'm not trans, I'm, I'm a cisgender woman, and that it's really crucial to recognise that, to, you know, as a cis person, you know, lucky enough to be part of these conversations about trans people and sport, that the best way to be a trans ally is to ensure that trans people's voices are absolutely the ones being placed front and centre in these discussions. And I really want that to be the case today. And you know, we need to be aware that the ways in which trans women are being discriminated against do two things. They they ignore the experiences also of trans masculine people and trans men and non-binary people in sport. And they also, as as Verity was saying about things not changing, all these conversations do is reinforce the patriarchy in sport. And we know, you know, as people involved in sport, that the patriarchy Hasn't done a very good job of promoting the interests of women
0: and girls, or other athletes who are deemed other in, in sport. Absolutely, and you know, I think just a few things that you pointed out that I just you definitely want to emphasize is, is I think, Verity, you you brought up how sport needs to be this really like open and welcoming and transparent environment where nobody has to hide their identity. Um, and, and you know, I, I, I. I I mean, we totally agree with that, and, and the fact that people either can't participate because of their identity, and/or are need to hide it because of how other people might respond. I mean, that just goes to show, like you said, sort of, how, or how you how you sort of implied, you know, that there's still a lot of work to do, right? That in order, because we all, all all are humans, right? We need to be treated as such. Um, and and I think too, Abby, your point about how, indeed, I mean, all these conversations reinforce the patriarchy and and this is white patriarchy in particular and and i think you know in the u.s there's been sort of a real like resurgence of uh trans policies to exclude trans and non-bi- non-binary people in sport in the last few months but it's obviously you know contributing to things from the last couple of years and we've seen a lot of support from like the turf community from so-called like feminist feminist women who are huge figures in sports and like protecting women's bodies and women's rights but but they're they're just Reinforcing the patriarchy, right? Like they're not actually about protecting women's sports. That's not the issue there.
2: No, absolutely. You're, and we have the same issue in in this country as well, Johanna. And I'm sure Verity will be able to, you know, give give his experience of that. Where well, that's exactly what's happening. They're they're disregarding actually what the issue is in sport, which is that it's still being
1: it's still ignoring other athletes. I think as well, from a, a personal perspective, um I played rugby for. 26 years I played female rugby union and rugby league and for myself being told when I was younger that if I came out that I couldn't play rugby anymore and for me that was my one constant so if we're now I'm coming up to being 40 and if the gender diverse young people of today are being told the same information or seeing that they can't come out and be their genuine and authentic selves and they can't be supportive then surely that's only going to do more harm than it is good, and again, it's cutting down the pathways to young people having dreams the same of the same as their peers. They're not going to dream to be an, an international female rugby player, or they may not want to get involved in hockey. And we also need to think around out of the box as well, because not all sport is just football, rugby, hockey. The young people these days want to play other sports as well like roller derby ultimate frisbee and and anything that gets the heart rate going and and gets them out there and meeting new people and getting them involved is is classed as physical activity so anything that they can get involved in is going to be absolutely potential towards them being their best selves as they're getting older and and as we said learning skills as well so we need to be opening up these spaces and one of the things for me as a, as a trans man um is, is, we need to be thinking with us, not without us. And as Abby said, it needs to be conversations need to be had with the people this involves rather than blanket bans being put in place with never speaking to the people who it's going to actually be banning. And we need to be looking at diversity and inclusion across the board now and also looking at what research is being used. And I know you're going to speak to Abby about her research coming up as well, but we need to be making sure that the correct information is out there. Um, m- my photograph is used quite a lot. Um, against trans women in sport it's been used on on newspapers um, and a lot of these anti-trans groups as you say are using visuals to say that these big six foot hairy built men are coming into women's sports to take the awards and we know that's not happening, an example of this is in the UK we've got around 37,000 women play rugby union but at the moment we've currently got only two openly trans women that are playing sport, we've lost about five Female players, because of these anti-trans groups, because of the stigma that's attached to it, because of the lack of support from within the sport. And if we're losing people from sport, that's not a great thing because it's taking money from the sport. It's taking people out of it and people are going to go look elsewhere. So we need to be making an environment that's open and inclusive for everybody.
0: Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's absolutely the same case here in terms of the number of trans and and particularly like, not particularly, but but trans women athletes, you know, proportionate to the rest of the population. It's so, it's so small, right? And the focus is on this minority that's just blown completely out of proportion is presented as like this huge, this, this sort of menace, which is not, which is not factually accurate. Um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so since we've we've been talking about this already, and so let's really dive into the heart of the issue regarding the inclusion and exclusion of trans athletes in sport. And we talked about this more recently with respect to gymnastics in the U.S. with the wonderful hosts of the Half In, Half Half Out podcast. And, And so what we're doing here definitely builds on and adds to that conversation. And although we'll get more into this really excellent article later on, Abby, you have a fantastic quote in your piece um, that is about a a BBC One documentary with Martina Navratilova. And it'd be great to dive into this quote here. And I'm going to quote you here um, where you say in this piece, quote, only the right quote unquote kind of body is permitted to participate in the gender discrimination. Allison, Allison being one of the speakers in the documentary, Uh, faces is considered acceptable because she is perceived by Martina to possess this, quote, right kind of body. Sport is at its most fundamental a highly ritualized spectacle of the body where gender-conforming individuals, feminine females and masculine males, are privileged while while gender-nonconforming people face scrutiny and prejudice, end quote. Abby, could you explain the meaning of the quote in terms of what it means about the trans exclusionary foundation of modern sport?
2: Oh, well, firstly, um, thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time for reading my article. I'm really glad you liked it. That means a huge amount, Johanna, coming coming from you. So thank you. Um, I think Martina in this documentary is kind of almost thinking the opposite about Alison. She's very keen to remind the viewer again and again about Alison's male muscles. She refers to them um, at some point. And she draws attention to Alison's state of um, transition, which are really deeply personal and, and quite unnecessary observations. I think Personally, and obviously, I can only draw on what the documentary shows us here. That in sport, and you know, in gender, particularly for Martina, she can only see gender and sport as being structured and segregated along binary lines. And people who deviate from that, she's not quite sure how to, you know, how to how to deal with these people. And as you rightly say, you know, um, modern sport absolutely organised along these gender binary lines, and we have lots of examples of female athletes who faced Quite similar, you know, criticism and discrimination um, for how they look. You know, we've seen this happen, you know, time and time again with Serena Williams. We see it with male gath- gay athletes who remain in the closet in case they become targets, you know, for, for homophobia. And sport really is set to the dial of men. It's quite a prevalent um, thing that we see happening in sport. It's why we have initiatives. You have, you know, Title IX in the US. We have This Girl Can in the UK. So. Really, to get to the heart of your question, you know, these foundations built as they are on, you know, and they're built on hegemonic masculinity and and, and gender normativity, they were always going to exclude trans people because they were already excluding a bunch of other athletes as well. And as Verity has said with the work that he's doing, we really hope that things are beginning to change, you know, little by little and, and you know, and and, and slowly and, and sympathetically, I think, is what we need to be doing as well. And by improving inclusion for trans athletes, I think we can improve inclusion for other people, too, along the way, because... What we're really trying to do is, you know, we're not trying to destroy sport or dismantle sport. It's really just a case of questioning why sport is organized the way that it is and who's benefiting from that.
0: Absolutely. And, and Verity, if, we'd love to hear your thoughts if you have any on on, on this quote or on anything that um, Abby just we just talked about. We'd love to hear them. I
1: think what Abby was saying is right. Um, we've always had people in sport. There's been trans people previously in sport. We've still not won any Olympic medals. We're still not out there. We're not winning prizes. We're not taking prize money from anybody. We just want to play sport. And everyone makes this assumption as well that because someone is trans that they're going to be great at sport. I've got a lot of friends who are trans and, and, and they don't want to play sport and, and, it just, and they're not winning medals or anything like that. And I think it just needs to be to have these conversations. There is not the research there especially within rugby which is being used as a massive platform at the moment there's not enough research done in trans athletes within an actual sports environment within the the sport that they play so as a, as a trans rugby player within a rugby playing environment that's where the research needs to be and it also needs to be open and transparent because a lot of the research that's out there there seems to be a lot of people that have got other they want to find the answers for reasons that are not there, um, if that makes sense. And we need to start listening to the new research that's coming out. We need more money pulled into it. And and we need sports people as well to be safe, to be able to come out to be involved as part of this. But we do need it to be open as well. We can't just assume that hormones are going to make somebody a much better sports person. We also need to make sure that the policies that are out there Are inclusive so people know that they can get involved. At the moment in the UK we've got roughly around 182 recognised sports under Sports England. We've got maybe in the early 20s of uh, policies where we can see some sort of trans inclusion whether it's all or part inclusion. We've got even less around non-binary policies and then when we're talking around children under the age of 18 what we call age grade sport in the UK there's even less. So parents are and children are unaware of what sport they can get into. And if there even is a policy, where it is, you've got to ask about 10 people, go around the houses, find someone who may have known about it from a few years ago. And then when you get it, the terminology is incorrect. The information's not there. It's not supportive. It's asking children to have surgeries and and change their bodies just to be able to participate in sport. And, And we need to start looking at this, and we need to make it more inclusive. And as Abby said, when people think about sport and we look at gender expression rather than just gender, what does a trans person look like? What makes a person be able to play sport? And people need to sort of realise the difference between that as well. Um, We've had surveys done in sport where people have said, have you ever played or suspected you've played against a trans person? So what is a trans person supposed to look like? And one of the things that came back from one of these surveys was people saying, yeah, we've played against loads of elite trans players, but, We know there isn't any, so you haven't. So that brings up the question of gender expression. You've played against someone that may not look like your expectation of what a male or female body should look like. And these are some of the conversations and education that we need, as well as part of these conversations.
0: Absolutely, and you know, Verity, you brought up something, and and I think this speaks to the work that that you do for mermaids and, and Abby that you do also. Um, and I, I had initially planned for us to talk about mer- mermaids later on, but maybe this is a great place to talk about it because, you know, that the whole it seems that the impetus, one of the main aims of the organization, is is to educate and to provide correct information for parents and for young athletes. And, you know, I didn't think about the fact that, that, that parents of, of trans and, and, and non-binary children, you know, th- they're looking for information and how difficult and how sort of traumatizing it might be for them to, to have to go to so many different people in so many different places to find accurate information, and they still might not get it. I mean, I hadn't thought about like kind of that additional process. So thank you for bringing that up. I
1: think in the UK as well, especially within the um, PE network, within within schools as well, we're still seeing a lot of binary sports. So boys have got to play football and cricket and girls have got to do hockey and netball. And we need to start having a look at that so that more children within the school environment can get involved in sport and how they can make that more inclusion as as the, the world is changing and, and language is becoming more prevalent and people have being able to use words to express themselves, we're seeing more people who identify as non-binary and gender diverse and we need to be making sure that they're also able to get involved in sport and also have access to sport and opportunities and how that may look and how changing facilities may look for people and how language on registration forms and everything needs to be looked at and, and it's not about segregating everybody and same that people are different and you've got to do this and you've not got to do that. It's about being inclusive and just allowing everybody to get involved in sport. And there's no real great answer to this at the moment. It's a learning curve and and it's a process. And as Abby said, it's not going to happen overnight. It's something that we need to be careful with and and look at slowly. But we need to be making sure that these young people and and anybody who's involved in these conversations are being heard. And that's one of the things that we're wanting to do within Mermaids and the Active About Inclusion campaign is about getting these young people involved, giving them a voice, letting people know what they need and how they need to be involved within this area and how supportive and what needs to be changed. And the the best way you can do that is by giving these young people a voice themselves because we can't give the answers as an adult. Even as a, a trans man, I'm coming to 40 now. And I've missed a lot of my life because I had to hide who I was. So these young kids are now able to have these voices and have supportive adults. And we need these sports governing bodies now to actually speak with people, find out what's going on within the community rather than somebody who's making these conversations and making these decisions that have never actually even met somebody from the community or even been involved in any way. So how can they make decisions on people when they don't actually know them? I've even even spoken to them. So if we can give a voice in this area and as mermaids as well, does a lot of different things in giving young people voices and support to, um, them and their parents and anybody within the professional capacity as well that needs support around trans inclusion. So these are the things that we're trying to do and raise awareness so that the correct information is going out there and people get this information. And as we said earlier, some of these anti-trans groups are putting a lot of incorrect information out there and, and people are latching onto that who may not be aware and may not be within the LGBT community themselves. And when the wrong information is going out there, it's just getting pushed and pushed and going further and further. So we need the correct information out there. And for myself, I always say it's education, not discrimination. We need to be inclusive and not exclusive when we're looking at things and talking to people. So this is the way that mermaids are trying to do this with Inactive About Inclusion and giving a voice and trying to get these sports bodies to start having these conversations so that we can make more places available and more inclusive policies so that everybody can be involved in sport and not excluded.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, you know, one thing that you, you talked about something earlier about, um, how, you know, there was a question about, you know, there was, I guess, post, I don't know if it was athletes or if it was to sort of sport officials or governing bodies that asked people, you know, have you ever participated against this kind of, you know, these people and, and they, you know, they didn't even know, you know, how to even identify was, it's clearly a question. And so I want to sort of talk about, um, this issue within world rugby, um, because I know Verity, you've really been at the forefront front for fighting for inclusion within this sport. And in, in October of 2020, World Rugby announced new, quote unquote, transgender participation guidelines. And the so-called guidelines effectively, from what I understand, uh, banned trans women. Um, they were not voted upon and they were not backed by any scientific data on trans women rugby players, which goes back to the very things you were just talking about. And then, to, to top, make it worse, uh, World Rugby then held what seems like an incredibly problematic forum to quote-unquote discuss uh, whether transgender women players pose a danger to cisgender women players. Now, could you walk us through sort of the origins of these guidelines and kind of give us more context to this forum that, that occurred?
1: Yeah, as I say, I work um, and do support the DNI in regards to the International Gay and Inclusive Rugby Association, but I also went on behalf of myself as well, um, as a player. When we got asked to actually attend this, the conversations at the beginning were around inclusion. So we thought we were going to go talk around how we could make the policy more inclusive. How are we going to move forward with it? What did we need to look at to make it more accessible to people? And as soon as we arrived there and the people that were in the room, we knew that that wasn't going to be the case. Um, And one of the things was uh, one of my colleagues who came with me is a cis female also from the States. And again, because everybody makes these assumptions because she was six foot and broader built than what they would expect a, a female to be. The assumption was that they thought that this was a trans woman that had walked into the room. So I actually had to out her as a cis female um because everyone was having these conversations so as soon as we got there it was a case of um there was a lot of discussions around the anti-trans movement there was fair play for women there there was a philosopher there was legal people there there was england rugby welsh rugby um we had lawyers there we had people from the england women's team But there was no trans rugby players apart from myself as a trans male. And one of the conversations that people are saying is, why did we not send any trans women into this conversation? Um, We had the opportunity. And the thing was, that wasn't on the cards. Nobody had any inkling that trans women were going to be banned. I was asked to go and voted in due to my playing career and the length of time I'd been playing. So we didn't think that we needed any trans women there to actually have these discussions. We'd never had any injuries, nothing had ever been raised. And as we got into the room, um, people were being told about their language because they couldn't uh, respect trans females' um, terminology. Uh, There was a lot of discussions around trans people. And one of the things I did raise was, could anyone tell me what a trans person looks like? And the room went quiet. So for me, it's around... People need to stop making these tick box exercises, and I, and again, we're seeing a lot of consultations at the moment coming out. So why are these coming out, and where where's this information coming from? And the science, as well, isn't there in regards to trans rugby players. We no research has ever been done, and we also need it to be done in a sporting setting. Um, there's not enough players. There's been no injuries reported in the UK at all. Um, England Rugby released their um, injury. Uh, report which was a zero from trans players. Um, myself as a as a trans man, just as I was coming to the end of my playing career in the women's game, I actually had my spine ruptured by a cis female, and nothing's talked around as part of this because World Rugby as well want trans men to sign a waiver to say that if they're injured, then it's their own liability. Um, so for me, it's around policing women's bodies, so trans women uh, and and trans men um, being policed because. This is how people think that cis women need protecting or whether trans men, because you're assigned female at birth, are more inferior on the pitch. And these are conversations that women need to be having. The other thing in regards to the world rugby is we saw that a lot of the major unions were not going to accept this. So world rugby policy only has to be followed if it's themselves that are officiating the game. So like the International Sevens or the World Cup but home um, unions are able to make their own policies up and follow their guidance. The downside to this is that any trans women or girls who potentially wanted to dream to be international female rugby players, this is not the case. So once you've finished grassroots, um, there's, you're not able to play international or at elite level. So why should trans women be removed or young trans girls be stopped from having these dreams when everybody else is able to do so? And one of the things at the moment is England Rugby has just announced a proposal change of their policies that's in consultation. And they're talking around putting in a a policy where potentially if you're over five foot six and 14 stone that you could be perceived to be a danger on the pitch. And we know this isn't the case again by um, the injuries that have been reported And one of the things within grassroots sport, a lot of women we're seeing are above these sizes. Even the England internationals team are above these weights and sizes. So trans women are effectively, again, being being stopped from potentially playing due to their weight and the size. So research isn't there. If you put a cis female and a trans female next to each other that were the same size and same weight, that's discrimination. Because someone's trans that they're going to be looked into as a danger. Um, everyone says, well, injuries are not being pr- reported correctly. We know that trans inclusion in sport is massive. And if someone was injured by a trans player, we know that it would hit the headlines. Something would be said about this. And that's
0: not the case. Wow. Thank you. So thank you so much. And, you know, I think I, uh, this whole like really, I mean, troubling, just obviously does not even like adequately um, explain what's happening. I mean, that I think your point about the fact that they're like, they're just trying to police people's bodies, right? That that's at the end of the day, they're trying to dictate who can do this and who can't do that. And in sort of looking to s- perceptions of physical attributes and physical and and their assumptions about what that means about strength and injury, Um yeah, then in, in the sort of absence of science, and you know, it 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 is so, and it's something where like I'm not as familiar with the UK context, and I know like in the US, um, in the last couple months, um, what's been really sad is to see a lot of the cisgender women who have been at the forefront of like anti abuse advocacy with respect to like sexual abuse scandals, like in gymnastics, for example, that would that's been a huge conversation here over the last five years a lot of these same people uh, are then y- are pivoting or sort of using that same argument to say because our cisgender women and girl athletes need to be protected this is why we need to have separate categories and and it just is so it's just been so harmful and so sad to see people who like we admired, people who were like wow they're you know they're really like helping to lead the fight against Larry Nassar L- Nassar and all that stuff and then to turn around and like exclude people and use very similar language but pivot so that it that it that it protects them it's just it's just been really awful to see
1: yeah I think when we're talking around fair play as well when we talk about sport there's competition if everybody if you took if you take rugby for example if everybody was a scrum half or if everyone was a prop there wouldn't be a game of rugby and as you were saying about world rugby in their own constitution it says Rug- rugby is a sport for all shapes of body and sizes and it's there for everybody and they've gone against it and even though people and the big international unions went against it and said they wouldn't accept this. World rugby still went ahead um, and missed out on taking a vote in which they could have lost um, the policy vote. And that never happened. They went straight ahead and and put the policy in that they wanted. um, And then we heard about it afterwards. So we need to find out who's making these decisions, where they're coming from and who they're actually speaking to as well. And when we talk about the anti-trans groups, we, we talk and we, we see fair play for women quite a lot in, in these conversations and they don't have a sports background, they're not in, a, in the sports arena, they don't have signs in that area, but they're still having these conversations and they're already out there and we know that they're an anti-trans group, we know that they're not supportive of trans people and we, we've seen information from them prior around what they think about trans people within the community And yet they're still being allowed in these spaces. And when we see some of the research that's coming out, the people who are involved in this research are highly tied and linked to these anti-trans groups as well. So how can that be open and fair and the information being used acceptable? Um, We need to start having a look at that. And also within when science is being released and being used for these sports policies, not just relying on one person having a look at all this information and and creating some sort of information panel where people can have a look at that and work together and and make a open and transparent decision rather than decisions being made behind closed doors and then no one's releasing the name of who who these people are that are signing everything off and for me I think things need to be very transparent when it comes to sport at the moment because too much is happening without it being actually open it's not supportive it's having it without having the conversations with the community and and I think it's really poor decision making and I think we need to see some common sense within this as well as I I mean as I say I'm in a wheelchair myself so safety is paramount for everybody but we've also got to be aware that we need to be inclusive as well and and look at the common sense sides of this when we're looking at people's weight and size and, and cis people and We've already got research out there and that's been working. The IOC's released the five nanomole testosterone level limits that's been used. We've not seen any issues coming in. So why is this all of a sudden being changed? It should be we should be looking again around more inclusion rather than exclusion. And I think just, just to add to what Verity has, has said there and what you picked up on,
2: Johanna, this this idea that, you know, science has become the kind of gold standard by which we measure inclusion for and trying to solve a problem which doesn't actually even exist all of these assumptions are hypothetical the hypothetical trans athlete storming in and winning every race and you know erasing the work that women and girls have put down you know in sport it's just the evidence for this it's as verity said it's it's just not there and we're missing out i think on opportunities for alliance while we're having this fight that doesn't have to happen
0: Absolutely, and and, and and I think, too, I, I, your, your point about the fact that people believe, I mean, you know, it goes back to people thinking that, like, science is objective and, you know, there are no biases in science, and we know that absolutely is, is not true at all, right? Science is, has a, you know, modern science is a very colonialist, um, you know, foundation to it, which, of course, then, you know, means that people discriminate against other people, right? People have used science as a way to discriminate against other people, and, and sort of one thing I wanted to pivot to is is a question about that its question about sort of what does this landscape look like in in the uk and and I mean in terms of like the fight for inclusion. And I say that because in the us and in other parts of the world, um, one, really kind of sad, um, facet of, um, the, um, the, the, the exclusion against trans and, and gender diverse people is that of course it it often intersects with ideas about race and that we have, because, because black, Female athletes, because their femininity has always been questioned, because of our history of a colonialism and enslavement, that then, because their gender has always been, um, you know, are are they actually feminine, right? Are they, are they feminine enough that a lot of times, um, uh, black female athletes are questioned in terms of, you know, how much testosterone they have, and are they are they real women and all this stuff? And and obviously, Kester Seminy is an example. I'm outside of the U.S., but then. Um, I, there, there's an example and I meant to look up the details about this. So my apologies, um, we'll, we'll link the article in the show notes, but, um, there's an instance in, in Connecticut, um, in the Eastern coast of the U S of, um, there was a, a white female athlete who was competing against two trans athlete, trans women athletes who I, I think were, uh, were black and I don't quite remember. And essentially, the the trans female athletes um, either got banned or, or kicked out of out of their out of competing. And I believe they're all track athletes. And then lo and behold, the, the cis white uh, gender um, female athlete has a college scholarship and is continues to compete in her sports. Whereas the two trans female athletes are no longer competing, right? So so it kind of goes back to to Verity, what you said about sort of opening up these opportunities and not segregating and kind of what are the mental health impacts of this. And so this is a long way of sort of me asking, you know, what does this landscape look like in the UK? Um,
2: I, I think that's a really interesting question. And you've touched on it here with what's happening in the in the US and with and in the UK with gender critical feminism, kind of quite prepared to throw other women under the bus if it means it keeps trans women out of sport. And we're seeing this happen, you know, all the time over here. And those ways in which discrimination intersects with other forms of identity is, is a really fundamental one. You know, how do we promote inclusivity without leaving some people behind? Because, you know, inevitably it happens. And we know it does because we've seen it happen with second wave feminism the ways in which it took, you know, women of colour, writers, you know, and activists, you know, Gaetra Spivak, bell Hooks, you know, Patricia Hill Collins, you know, the work of people like Kimberly Crenshaw, you know, generously pointing out, that, you know, second wave feminism really was leaving behind, you know, a really big section of other women. And we've seen it in the way that, you know, even in the way that queer studies has had a tendency to kind of whitewash some of its focus. And as Verity talked, you know, earlier rightly said, the way that we see it in LGBT sport where you know the tea is kind of subsumed into the LGB and it kind of gets forgotten about a little bit and it's sort of seen as being something which is sort of tagged on the end and you know as you rightly said in the UK you know there's a huge focus from the gender critical feminist movement about protecting what they call safe spaces so changing rooms similar to the bathroom bills have been happening in the US yeah. with very little regard to how these spaces historically have been used to exclude other people, particularly black people, particularly disabled people. You know, that failure, as you picked up on as well, Johanna, to recognise that the abuse that some of the women and girls have experienced in sport and boys, you know, Larry Nassar, as you said, these weren't happening in those spaces, and they were certainly not being perpetuated by trans people. So, you know, again, gender-critical feminism, you know, they're kind of sidestepping those those questions, really, and and this is what where the focus should be is on you know these is- issues of you said about you know hegemonic masculinity
1: and gender normativity which permeate sport and which disadvantage everybody. Just the same as like what you was just saying then, if this was conversations were around race or religion, we wouldn't be having these conversations now. We we had them in in the sixties, we had them in the early part of the century. Why are we still having them in twenty twenty one? And we need to be. Having a chat with the sports governing bodies about who they're letting into these conversations, and actually researching the groups that they're allowing to have conversations around trans people's lives and and spaces, and we need to make sure that people are protected and they're not put out there. Like I said earlier, my, my picture's been used many times against trans women when they know perfectly well that if they'd have looked up the information or asked that I was a trans man, um, but because they're able to use a visual of someone that's I've got a bald head, I've got a beard, I'm quite broad. Using that picture to as a scaremonger to people that are out there and it's a case of if people are using these visuals, it's like, my God, these these big men are coming into the sport and taking all the women's places, we're going to lose our scholarships. And that's not happening, we're not seeing it. And one of the conversations that we don't have, all the conversations at the minute are around what if trans people win, but what they forget about is what about all the sports where p- people have lost races or fights like Fallon Fox, like... Victoria, Ivy, we're having these conversations and a lot of the trans people as well are competing in Masters. They're not competing at the levels where people would expect to see them. And these are the conversations that that people forget about. And again, when we're talking around using pictures of people as, as visual effects against trans people in sport, someone's gone on a campaign against Fallon Fox and using a photograph of someone covered in blood saying that she broke some cis female skull in a match and Fallon never even fought in that match. She was not anywhere near that. And these are the things that are happening and people are seeing this and because it's there and they've got it as a visual, they think that is correct and that's what's happening and that, and that's not what's going on. And we need to stop this. And one of the things that we also need to look at in this conversation at the moment is how trans people in sport are used on social media and how that is policed as well and how people are supported to be able to report and be protected in these spaces because that's something that's been used a lot in this anti-trans movement in these conversations. They're able to put comments up and get them out there and get in, get in spaces for people and ask them to follow their information. And we need it to be corrected. We need the correct information out there. We need trans people involved in these conversations. And we meet, we need to be looking at inclusion now.
2: And why, is, why isn't anybody up in arms, you know, if they feel this strongly about trans women in sport? You know, I'm a big fan of Chris Mosier, who's, you know, your US triathlete. He's wiping the floor with, with many cisgender men and yet very absent from all these conversations. Why aren't trans men, you know, why aren't why aren't cisgender men worried about their rights being erased? If 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 that's what the problem is of trans people in sport as these people see it. And I think you're you're right again, you know, this, this rhetoric is very similar, the way that trans bodies and you know this danger that is that is hypothetically posed to other people in school. Very similar rhetoric to the that we see with the far right, and which we see with you know particularly with pro life, the way that those you know narratives are often framed as being safety and danger, which we don't talk about. You know, you know, and I to speak about this in my own research, in my own PhD research. You know, the very real fear and danger and harassment and discrimination and violence that trans women and men face when they enter these sporting spaces and they don't get
0: talked about. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think one thing that's evident in in both of your answers and in in our conversation here is, is the need to be intentional, right? Like needs to be intentional at at every single step in terms of who's involved in the conversations, who's being consulted, what are people's expertise and kind of backgrounds and like, what are their agendas? I mean, that these things really need to be at the forefront and, and, and Verity, your discussion of what happened with world rugby. I mean, that, shows very clearly, right you all went into the meeting thinking, you know you hear inclusion and like you hope that it means what you think it is. And then you are it seemed like you were you were blindsided about you know the reality of what it was. Um, and, and so it, it, it isn't asking much at all for to expect organizations, whether they are local, national, international, et cetera, it's not too much to expect you know, people in charge to, to spend some extra time thinking through the decisions they're making and the people that they're asking to be part of the conversations and, and think through their assumptions. I mean, that isn't that much to ask. No, I think as
1: yeah. well, World Rugby sort of, it felt very much like an afterthought. We were asked just as a tick box exercise to say that they've filled the diversity and inclusion form in that the have asked the International um, Rugby Association to be part of that. Uh, And as we know now, we're still not seeing any movement. There's still been no discussions in it. They've said that they'll look into research, but how long is that going to take? And when we think about sport at the moment and and the lack of policies and the lack of conversations, one of the things that we're forgetting about is because of the long waiting lists we've got in gender clinics and what's happening within the UK at the moment, a lot of people can't get access to um, the medication that they need to be able to reach the levels of these policies that they're asking for as well. So there's also that we've got what we call real barriers to sport, so lack of policy, but we've also got perceived barriers as well, where people may think as well that they can't get involved in sport. And one of the big things that a young person once told me was, how am I supposed to live when the people I look up to hate me? And if these young sports bodies are seeing all this information from Sharon Davies, Martina Natratilova, and all these sort of conversations... The right. How are they supposed to get involved in sport if they think they're being hated or they think they can't get involved or young kids are turning up to sports clubs with a new pair of boots that they've saved the money up for and they're being told to go away because they're born the wrong sex. These are the sort of things that we're, we're seeing at the moment. And we need to be supportive and we need to have these conversations, but there need to be conversations in the right areas with the right people and not with people who believe that we shouldn't exist and when we talk about, as Abby said, the trans men conversation isn't being had. I, I was beaten up and had blood spot in my mouth on the middle of a rugby pitch and nothing happened about that. It took two years to even have conversations. And what it is, is people think that because you're assigned female at birth, then you're not worthy to play in, in, the, men's, in the men's sport. So again, it's about policing and, and perceived bodies and assumptions that are made about people we've got no injuries we've got no issues no one's winning medals nothing's happening to make these changes but all of a sudden these anti-trans movements are coming in and threatening legal action and talking to people and getting in these spaces and all of a sudden all everything goes up in the air and sports and people are panicking thinking that they need to relook at these policies and sometimes it's just common sense when we're looking at them We we couldn't go too far without even speaking to people. So we need to know who's in these rooms and be transparent about these conversations.
0: Absolutely. And and I did know, Abby, if, did you want to add something to that? I'm happy to, to move on, but also happy to in- include what you wanted to say.
2: No, just, just to absolutely, you know, what Verity said there is absolutely right conversations need to be much more about lived experience and much less about this reliance on science which doesn't actually
0: exist. And and, and this is actually a really great place to pivot to talk about um, to kind of return to your academic article Abby uh, which again we'll link uh, for for listeners because I really encourage people to listen to this Um, and, and it focuses on again the 2019 BBC One documentary and the article is called um, quote, the trans, or sorry, not that the documentary is called uh, The Trans Women Athlete Dispute with Martina Navratilova. Um, just to reiterate, because uh, I think it's, it's worth saying over and over again, the fact that this documentary even occurred and, w- is, and was filmed is just uh, distressing and seems like it was probably very traumatic for the people involved and, and people watching it. And, and this is because the program showed a uh, cisgender woman, Navratilova, um, one of the first openly gay figures in sport, as she quote unquote debated the existence and right of trans athletes to compete equal- equally. And she talked to athletes, trans women, and scientists. And Abby, your piece does a really fantastic job of walking readers through the different trans women that Na- Never Tolova interviewed, um, the women being Naomi Reed, Allison Perkins, Joanna Harper, Christina Harrison, and Charlie Martin. Um, And in your analysis of the documentary, you use this phrase, um, mundane transphobia, to explore how Navratilova reasserts her gendered power to control the language, discussion, and public, uh, public conversation over time. Now, Abby, could you explain what mundane transphobia is and how it is very harmful, even if it is quote unquote mundane?
2: I'll do my best. Okay, so I can't take credit for this term. Credit for the term mundane transphobia must be given to um, the very excellent Dr. Damien Riggs, um, who is somebody whose work is I'm a big fan of and and very much worth taking the time out to to read. And um, Riggs wrote an article in 2014 called What Makes a Man, Thomas Beattie, Embodiment and Mundane Transphobia. And Thomas Beattie is an American trans man who became pregnant. Um, He was interviewed about his experiences on the Oprah Winfrey show. And during the show, uh, Oprah Winfrey, you know, she constantly brought the audience's attention back to Thomas's childhood, his physical attributes, his authenticity as a man. You know, she did it sort of over and over again. And she does it, you know, she did it by comparing her own experiences as a woman to his. So in Riggs's own words, this is mundane transphobia because um, they're all examples of the everyday ways um, in which non-trans people enact marginalisation towards trans people, despite claiming to inclusivity, which is what we see happening in the in the Martina documentary. And, you know, day-to-day examples, are, you know, that we can think about today. It's when somebody says, oh, God, I never mean, knew I couldn't tell that you were trans. Oh, my God, you look, you know, you, you look amazing. You're so brave. It's it's those, you know, you look a real woman. It's, it's those sort of day-to-day mundane, you know, banal ways in which people enact this kind of marginalization. Because very very you know focused on people's bodies as Verity has said before that you know these normative assumptions that we make about people's bodies um, and they're really difficult to challenge and that's what makes it so effective because it's reinforcing those gender stereotypes it justifies maintaining the status quo of questioning trans women's participation in sport and it allows Martina to kind of take a step back she kind of makes this you know kind of autobiography on demand that she does with participants they're in this documentary she's talking about sports she can ask these intimate questions because she's doing it in the name of journalism and she's doing it in the name of science and she's doing it because it's about fairness in sport so she feels she has the authority to to do that so that was kind of what was happening in, in the you know the article by Riggs when he you know when Oprah Winfrey was was you know talking to Thomas Beattie and and she does Martina Navratil does the same thing in in this and when you unpick the language that she's using in the interviews you know for example you know when she speaks to Naomi Reid the first thing she tells us about Naomi is that she hasn't had surgery no need for this piece of information at all and she does it with you know she does it with Alison and she calls her muscles male so there is this constant you know mundane banal transphobia going on which is extremely hard to challenge and it normalizes the way that people think it's okay to talk to trans people like this
0: absolutely and you know i thought i think one thing that was uh also really important about your piece um that i i do want to make sure I highlight is that right you show that even though like not not never is doing this right that each woman is they're trying to navigate this in their own ways and and, and, tr- and trying to how do I say? They're not, some of them aren't trying to sort of not fall into the traps that Navratilova is setting them. And, and it seems like that's what she's setting for them, right? Is, is sort of putting them in a defensive place to defend the, their legitimacy of their identity, of their gender identity. And and I just I just found that really interesting. I, um, I mean, obviously really sad that they, you know, they they shouldn't have to do that at all. But kind of how these, the, these, the the transgender women sort of tried to control how they were responding as a way to try to control the, the discussion, um, as best as they could, right. As someone who is not the moderator of the discussion, as someone who doesn't have the name in the platform, the Navratilova does. So I thought that was a really important part of your piece.
2: Oh, thank you. And I, and thank you for saying that, because I think that's really important. And she, you know, she sets her stool out very quickly in, in the documentary. You know, she says that she's not going to use the term cisgender. And she kind of does it in a way that's a bit like, oh, you know, I'm not going to offend anybody, and somebody's not going to be happy, but you know, for the sake of simplicity, cis is just woman or man, and transgender are trans men or women. So she's already kind of shutting down anybody else's agency in this documentary, and and she's getting the audience on her side because that because then other people go, well, I don't want to use cis either. Then I'm, I'm not going to use it. Why why should I use it if it's you know if it's not good enough, for Martina? It's you know it's, it's not good enough for me and. It, it's been tricky, I think, and I'm sure Verity will, you know, will come in on this about, you know, talking about the media again, is it Martina Navratilova, along with other prominent, you know, kind of gender critical people in the UK, you know, they've been doing this for quite a few years now. And, and they've been having these very strong platforms in places, you know, in big UK, you know, newspapers. And so, when this documentary came out, it, it, was, it was very much framed as a chance for Martina Navratilova to set the record straight. And a lot of people, you know, people that I know and people in the trans community said, "Oh my God, she's going to, you know, she's, she's going to get it. She's finally going to get it." And even, you know, Al Fisher, who's a, who's a, you know, who's a trans non-binary writer and an activist, and they wrote a piece in the Guardian responding to it. And she said. They said that, you know, when, when, they, when, when you use language in this way, it just it's exercising power, isn't it? And, and as we've already talked about with many black feminist writers, you know, people like Hill Collins, you know, it reinforces discrimination and it denies trans people
0: agency. And that's
2: just not OK. It's just not cool
0: yeah absolutely and i absolutely welcome um verity if you have additional thoughts on on the documentary about mundane transphobia or anything like that
1: um i was actually asked to be part of this documentary um and i turned them down oh. um the email that i was sent by the people that were putting this donkey documentary together um on their email every time they used the word trans they wrote it in capital letters um and also asked me oh asked anyone who'd been spoken to about this not to let sports governing bodies know um what was happening they didn't want anyone to know that this was coming out so for me that was alarm bells ringing anyway um as to where it was going and what was going to be involved in that and for me as a trans man and having my picture and, and things used previously it was one of the, my questions was why do they want a trans man in a documentary about trans women's sports um and also why should i have to go on there to defend why i should live and why i should play sport as well so from what Abby was saying as well around language, you saw the language, she wanted to take control of that language from the start of it. She didn't want anyone, anyone else's language to use. And a couple of times through the documentary, you see a slip up around using um, terminology around male bodies and, and, and male inf- information. And this is what we're seeing a lot of these spaces, they won't respect the terminology used, never mind anything else. So if they can't respect someone's terminology and someone's identity, how can they be having these conversations in these spaces? Um, So for me, for a lot of people, that documentary it looked good from the outside, and because Martina's a big name, it was used as a to be out there and talking about this level playing field. And again, what is a level playing field? Sports there is a competition; someone's going to win. If if it wasn't that, then sport would be a very boring place. And and for me as well, when we talk around Martina Natalia over in sports, she had an amazing amazing presence, and she did a lot of work for. The lesbians within sport but then when it comes to transgender because somebody is perceived to be different then it's got to be looked at in a different way and when we look at sport people within sport are picked because of their genetic advantages basketball if you're tall if you've got a bigger handspan with rowing and like michael phelps is celebrated because of his genetic advantage in regards to lactic acid and why is that so different from trans people playing not every trans person is going to be amazing at sport we forget as well that when we talk about sport, everyone talks around hormones. What about technique? What about how long someone's played a game? Or what? And these are the sort of conversations that we need to be having as well. And I bring it back down to rugby, and that's because that's my sport and, and that's what I know. If you see more injuries at grassroots sports because people are just learning the sport, they're learning the technique, then you do at an elite level. So you learn to tackle, how to tackle safely, when to put yourself in, in these positions and how to control the body. At grassroots, that's something that's been learned. You're going to see more injuries than you are at the elite level. And no one's having this conversation. And the other conversation people are not having is how hormones affect trans women. It's all about the testosterone, but no one's actually talking around the estrogen and those sort of effects that the women are going through whilst they're transitioning. And it is a second puberty for people and things are changing. And that's the whole point that people are wanting to go through transition because they're not the people that they were assigned at birth. So things are going to be different. And we need to have these conversations instead of talking around everything that's really negative. We need to talk around the positives within sport as well. We talk around the negatives of people are going to lose medals, people are going to lose scholarships. What about the positives? What about the competitions? What about the friends that they're going to make? What about the social side of it? There's so much more positivity than negativity when we look back through this.
2: I agree. And, you know, just drawing on what Verity has said there and you know many of the trans women that I interviewed for my PhD said you know I turned up you know to play roller derby for example and I was expected to be amazing because that's what all the gender critical feminists have said I would be and you know what I wasn't I I had to I had to train and I had to learn the game and I had to do all this other stuff so they had also internalized this assumption that you know that they would somehow have this automatic competitive advantage and it never
0: it never materialized what a surprise and and then i'm sure to, to, uh, you know i'm just sort of thinking through you know then i you know if, if the expectation from cisgender athletes are that transgender athletes will have all these advantages and then it, it, that does not seem to be the case, then I would bet that there are instances where transgender athletes might, might be made to feel as if they need to like defend their performance. I, I don't know. I could be wrong here, but it seems like, you know, if that's the assumption from, from cisgender athletes that, that there will be advantages and then they don't exist. Um, Cis, I mean, cis, white gender people feel the need to ask questions that are like that of, uh, well, you know, why is that not the case? So I, I can't imagine how much additional labor and kind of potential trauma that is as well.
2: And also that, you know, a lot of the trans masculine and trans men that I spoke to said that, you know, I wasn't any better than I was two weeks ago. But because I now pass as, as male, and that's a term that they themselves would use, I had this competitive advantage conferred on me. So it came from nowhere. So, you know, and that's another side of the conversation that we're not always necessarily having. We see trans women, this idea that there's this conflation between cheating and unfairness. And as Verity said, what do we even mean when we talk about a level playing field? Why aren't we talking about those other intersections of privilege and class and race and, you know, the kid whose parents you know earn enough money to drive them to swim practice before school and you know all of those other things are overlooked you know and you don't need me you you know that these disadvantages have been prevalent in sport for a century you know the whole history of sport is built on you know victorian notions of middle classness and as you said colonialism you know it's all there
0: Definitely, and I and I want to continue this sort of line of thought about sort of fairness and stuff. But but Verity, you had mentioned something that I just wanted to follow up on. I'm just curious um, when when you were at when when you were sent this email to participate in the documentary, and they said that they didn't want you to notify any of the governing bodies. What do you think might have been the reasoning for requesting that? As I say, I'm speaking on
1: behalf of myself, and I can't remember the exact words within the email, but. It's worrying if they're not wanting to involve sports governing bodies and have these conversations in these areas because we do see where some sports have got trans inclusion policies, like Roller Derby's got a really inclusive inclusive policy. Um, so again, for me, that's about not being transparent and open about what sort of conversations they're going to be having and what and who they were using in, in the documentary and what sports that they were going to use um, within it as well. So for me. I can't say for definite why that is, um, but it's it's some sort of gatekeeping in, in, as far as I'm concerned in regards to that, um, and rather worrying as well. If, if we can't be open, we can't talk about what's going on, then what's actually happening behind closed doors, because this is affecting people's lives mentally and physically. And when we talk around trans women and girls and policies that are missing, one of the things that's coming up, if we're policing women's bodies, then that's going to lead to other areas such as eating disorders within within women and young young people. And we know that's already prevalent as well as young people use that as a way to stop their puberty onset early or if they're struggling with the way that their bodies look with body dysmorphia. Um, so it's just going to lead to further um, heartache and problems for people down the line. And I don't think people are thinking around the mental health effects inside of this as well and... The, the fair playing field what is that we pick people for their genetic advantages and that's the conversation that they're using in all these arguments fair play but what is that when it's a competition
0: and you know I'm so glad I, d- I did not even think about this um in, in terms of yeah that in order to hold off on going through puberty you know along the lines of the the gender that you were assigned at birth you don't you know, developing eating disorders that doesn't happen. I mean, you know, like, as you said, I mean, eating disorders and body dysmorphia are already a huge issue. And so, I mean, that's just so sad. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, I didn't even, so I'm thinking a lot here. I didn't even think about that as potentially being an issue, but I, it's just, yeah, it's just really awful. The waiting lists are getting longer for gender
1: clinics for people. Then you've got sports that are looking at putting a weight and a height class in there. It's all going to sort of, come to a head and it's going to affect people in many different ways. It may not be that for one person, but it may be for somebody else. And how are we going to be able to support that? And if you're thinking about taking away someone's sport for someone, what, what's left for them after that? What's going to happen to them? Like for myself, I played for 26 years and I had to put my whole life on hold. I knew who I was, but I couldn't speak about it. And that took a massive mental health toll on myself for many years until I was able to come out. And then when I did come out, I hit the headlines and was used against trans women and was assaulted on the pitch. And there was no protection for me. No, no sport that I'd played for 26 years was like, we'll support you, we'll be a voice for you. That's not happening. We need governing bodies to be proud of their trans and gender diverse um, players within the game and support them. And, and again, not doing tick box exercises, maybe put something on once a year or put a pride flag on now and again. Put your trans policies out there, look at your D&I policies, look at your marketing material so everybody can see themselves in that. So trans kids and gender diverse young people are able to see themselves within the sport. We need to start looking at a lot more things than just talking around hormones within the sport and, and and trans people. There's so much more that can be done and it's not being looked at.
2: And role models. And that that's why the work that Verity does is so important because it, it means that, that young people have a role model to identify with. And we know, we know in, you know, in feminist writing about sport and, you know, talking about all other identities in sport, if you have a role model that you look up to, whether that's somebody in or outside of your family or on or off the field, the difference it makes to your motivation to participate, it's it's
1: enormous. And that's why what Verity does really matters. I think role models in any sense of the word... Um, for me, like Abby just said, um, myself is a role model, but for me, the young people are the role models. They're the ones who are out there being themselves now, having the language, having the terminology, fighting for their right to be here and, and to be their authentic selves and to live. And for me, the, the young people are now my role models. When I was younger, my ro- role model was, was a lady I played rugby with, um, Jackie Edhouse. And I just remember walking up to me and putting a arm around me and saying, I'm a social worker, she'll be okay with me to my grandparents. and. I never look back. Sport, for me, I lost my parents young. That was my go-to. That was the one thing that supported my mental health and kept me going all them years. But if somebody had took that away from me back then, I couldn't say whether I'd be here now. And for these young people that we're working with now, it's so important that they know that it's safe. You are allowed to play sport. It's, it's not a bad thing for you to be to be who you are. And it, it's beautiful to be yourself and to be your authentic self is is massive to go out on a pitch for 80 minutes and just forget what's going on in your life. And it doesn't just have to be because you're trans. It's for these young people, they're going through puberty, they're going through teenagers, they're going through school issues at home. And it's so much intersectionality. I mean, I'm a gay trans man with a disability. How much more intersectionality could other young people be going through as well? And we don't necessarily think about how much it costs to get in sport. And like Abby said, some parents might be able to take their kids to sport and pick them up and put money in, into that sport. Other children may not. So, at what point do, do we learn our technique or how good we are or how much money's pushed behind us to get involved in sport? Not everybody has that. And there's got to be so much more within this conversation and in this space around sport.
0: And wow, just like so so sorry to hear about you know the the sort of lack of protection that you had and I, and i think you know again like it just shows how interconnected sports are with the sort of physical like mental and emotional um health right that these things really are deeply linked and to even pretend that they're not um i mean th- that's just ignoring obviously like so much evidence and, and lived experience and um um you know you have started you've talked a fair bit both of you a uh, kind of about um, how do I say, certain um, gender expansive policies. And we really like to hear, especially from Verity, because so much of your work has focused on creating an inclusive atmosphere for athletes. Um, So what does it mean to have sort of the gender expansive sport? And what are some things that you think that you're working towards that that need to be done?
1: I think at the moment, we know it's a slow process. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Um, I think we need to be able to let people know that they can get involved in sport, how they can get involved in sport. And it's important that it's there for everybody. Everybody should have a human right to be able to participate and not be excluded from that. For me, if, the, if it's a, a sport, for example, rugby, um, they need to be having these conversations. And there's no research there. They need to put the money into the research. They need to put their money into diversity inclusion. They need to be speaking to the focus groups of the people. So as we said earlier, with us, not without us, and having these conversations so that we can be making things more inclusive. And as I said at the beginning, humans are changing, so why isn't sport changing? We've changed over millions of years, and we've only been playing sport as it is over maybe the last century or so, um, as it is. And and we we need things to start changing. We need to evolve And sport needs to evolve with us as well. And that can be anything. That doesn't just have to be trans people. That can be disability sport as well. We need to be making sure that everything's talked around in spaces with people it actually involves. And when people have got policies, be proud to have them talk around them, have the hard conversations, but have those conversations and and start interacting with the community because you can't do anything without the community. Otherwise, it's just somebody in a corner that's making a decision without actually knowing how it's going to affect someone because if you took someone's sport away from them you don't know how that's going to affect them or what else is going on in their lives so how, how can we support that and again education not discrimination let's be inclusive let not let start excluding people it's not about can we get people involved it's how can we get people involved now
2: yeah and I think you know building on what Verity has you know has really brilliantly said there it is about it doesn't have to be you know huge huge changes nobody's trying to you know get rid of sport and I you know I you know a lot of the trans people that I spoke to in my research said I quite like binary sports teams because it's a real affirmation of my own gender identity it's a way for me to reconnect and reshape and you know kind of be proud of the gender identity that I occupy so I want to play on the women's you know, football team. So nobody, I think there's this assumption that you know being inclusive doesn't means wanting to destroy everything, and it's it's really right. not about that at all. It's it's about, you know, if somebody says, Okay, you know, is it okay if I wear a, a, you know, a t-shirt in the swimming pool? Somebody says, well, yeah, I'm sure that's absolutely fine because, you know, coming back to this this question of you know intersectionality again, it's you know some of these changes that we could be making in spaces, you know, on and off the field, they also help to improve you know, sport for, you know, people with religious or cultural needs as well. So this isn't just always necessarily a, you know, a, a trans issue. It's, it's it's a wider issue here and it's bringing it back to well, why are we organising sport based on people's anatomy? It seems a little bit outdated to me. Um, so I think it's it's about, you know, kind of challenging that, you know, those androcentric you know, origins that exist in sport and, you know, looking for opportunities for alliances. I think there are many more alliances between trans athletes and cis athletes, particularly cis women, you know, that need to be drawn out. And I think we're missing, we're missing an opportunity there.
0: Absolutely. And to to just kind of follow up on your last point, I mean, it's, you know, if indeed, I mean, and it's you know, it's true that all of these issues, you know, stem back, you know, have the the foundation of hegemonic masculinity and cis white patriarchy and, and colonialism. I mean, the whole one of the, you know, Western imperialism's like most like widely used tactic was like divide and conquer, right? And and that, and that's what they've done very successfully. And so by not seeking these way, these avenues for alliances that sort of, you know, you free, you know, free us all, not just one. I mean, it, it just, it's just totally, it's self-defeating.
2: Yeah. Well, just a former, my former um, tutor, Professor Alison Phipps, who's, who's professor of gender studies at Sussex University, and she summed it up really brilliantly. She said that in this kind of post-Brexit, you know, landscape that we're in at the moment, life for quite a lot of people is a bit rubbish and you know they've got it hard so they're going to blame the refugees because they want to you know and 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 you know and let's face it this last year with covid for many women has also been not great because it's kind of reinforced those gender stereotypes back in, into the household and so you know women who thought that they had fought you know and won the battle of feminism are finding that they're not and and they're blaming the wrong people you know in in, in this and we know you know you're having a similar you know, issue in the States, aren't you? I think as well with with some of those kind of right wing as we are here
0: in the UK. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it just, you know, how do I say? I I think some people had the the sort of, Overly optimistic outlook that once um, the you know, the Trump presidency was over, and that Biden would be elected, if indeed that would even happen. It's sort of not that things would go back to normal, but that you know the the, the right would recede a little bit. And of course, that's not the case because nothing is just going to disappear overnight, right? And it's not as if Trump was the whole; he wasn't the whole movement um right it existed before and it it's going to exist after and and of course the like cultural effects that not only the political and the social but the cultural effects is obviously through things such as sport and and other activities as well that's the thing that's really going to to have in some ways like a very lasting impact
2: yeah and why aren't we talking about you know the gender pay gap in sport mm-hmm. there's so much more there's so much more we could be you know i mean not to take this away from you know, the work that Variety and I do. But I think just in terms of that, you know, the gender critical situation, that's what worries me about, you know, that's what's problematic about those conversations, that it's taking the conversation into a direction and making it about something that it's not.
0: And, you know, I I think this might be a good place to talk about uh, the work that you do for mermaids. And we've touched about it a little bit, but I was just sort of curious, you know, like, so, so say there's like a, a family, because it seems, again, it's, it's about providing information to families and athletes. So if there's a family or an athlete that's sort of seeking information, um, how, how can um, Mermaids, how can you all at Mermaids do that and sort of help them?
1: It's about them reaching out and getting in touch. So they can either do that through our website, they can call up, they can do it through web chat um, if they go on the med meds website and it's around us making those connections and us being the bridging gap so supporting the families getting in touch with the sports bodies looking to see what policies are there if they haven't got them there how can they be more inclusive where can we offer the support if it's schools how can we support integration into PE for for trans and gender diverse young people if they've got questions they can reach out to us so that we can support we've got the legal and policies team we've got the support groups in the forums we've got parental support there's so many different ways. We've got training and education as well to the professionals within the UK. So there's a lot of different dimensions to that. But if families want to reach out to me, my position about having it as a bridging position so we can reach out and we can make those connections and we can signpost, we can have the conversations with the sports governing bodies and, and look at how we can get the sports governing bodies to be more supportive around policies and within that sport but also be more supportive to the young people as well and maybe create, we're looking at the moment to create a directory on how we can signpost people to inclusive sports and how people can then sign up with that as well. So we're creating um, a a supportive network within the UK because when we talk around trans inclusion in sport, a lot of it is around adults and there's not enough conversations around young people. And again, young people, if we take the the term trans out of this, they're just kids. They just want to play sport and be with their friends just as anybody else would. So it's about being able to give them that um, opportunity and also in a safe environment as well. And an example as well is like football, the FA, you can play mixed football till you're 18. Not many people even realise that until you start having those conversations. Even coaches don't realise that. And, I think national governing bodies need to start filtering down their information and pushing stuff out more and and being excited and and being supportive of um, the people that they've got within their sport because they don't actually know who's there. So if we can be open, we can talk around it and then we can be supportive Then we can support more young people. They'll be able to see people getting involved in sport. They'll be able to see positivity within the newspapers and it'll give them a safe environment to get involved as well.
0: Great, and so one question that we really like to ask our guests is sort of this this sort of question about you know we all we know um, that there are many issues with sports that 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 you know people have used sports as circuit for a long time to discriminate against people, uh, and sort of knowing that, but yet also having been or continuing to be athletes and fans of sport we like to ask people sort of how, how do they sort of balance their interest and in, in belief that sport can do all these things while also knowing that people have used it to be very harmful. And so how do you kind of negotiate that, sort of being a fan and or an athlete of sport while also knowing that people have used it for um, harmful things? I think for me,
1: the positive side of it is I play wheelchair rugby, which is inclusive of disabled, able-bodied, trans inclusion, and it's there for everybody. And it's a really positive sport to be involved in. So for me, that's been a step in positivity from leaving the running game. But to leaving the running game in England and all the time I played rugby, it's very disheartening that I gave a lot of my life to that sport, for that sport to not be supportive um, of myself and other people within that. And it's hard um, to be able to watch a game and to know that they're not supportive of your friends or your family and other people within your community and it's re- it really pulls at you in different directions and I know myself this year I've struggled um not watching any games and knowing that what's happening in the background is affecting people that I care about um but then I've got a, I've got another version of that sport which is inclusive and open to everybody so it's a bit of a pull in, in in two directions for myself. Yeah,
2: I I, I you know I, I couldn't agree more, and you know I'm not um I'm not a sports person um in the way that Verity is, but you know I know that you're a swimmer, Johanna. I'm am a really keen swimmer. I know how I feel when I can't get in the water. It seems fundamentally unfair to me that something which has proven health and mental well being benefits is being deliberately denied to others. Um. So many of the people that I spoke to in my research talked about and verity just mentioned this, just the joy of sport. I just like playing sport. I just want to play. That's it. There's no, that's all it is for me. I just, I'm really good at it. I want to get involved. And I, you know, physical activity, you know, the joy and the pleasure that it brings to people on multiple levels. You know, they just want to be involved. Nobody is erasing the rights of women and girls in sport by participating. Nobody's cheating or making spaces unsafe and I think it's just about reminding ourselves that sport isn't the level playing field that we think it is and that everybody has the right to participate and as Verity said you know sport is a human right and I hope that as we're coming out of this you know covid um, era that you know there was a big focus in the UK about everybody getting their hour of daily exercise I'm hoping that maybe people are a little bit more generous about making sure that that means everybody and you know, not just one particular sector of society. Definitely.
0: Um, and so really the last question that I have for you is I wanted to see if there was anything else that you wanted to add um, to the discussion that, um, a qu- you know, something that I didn't raise or something else that you wanted to make sure to include in this episode.
2: I think just to really, you know, as we've both said, and I know that Verity will, you know will will come in as well, just that you know nothing nothing in these conversations should be happening. And without trans people's you know voices and experiences, and that's why I love working for mermaids so much is because every piece of research that I'm involved in includes somebody who's trans and or non-binary in this research. It's a given that that's the core aims of the work that we do with mermaids. And it's not just sport, it's health, employment, education. So there is a real opportunity to be, you know making new research with trans
1: people that will hopefully make a difference I think for me as well again it's speaking to the young people being able to make a difference and be able to let them have a positive space within sport and to be able to carry on and to if I, the life that I've had and the experiences that I've had if that makes it more positive than for the young people of the future, then it's been all worthwhile as far as I'm concerned. And it would be great to see these young people out there just playing sport and enjoying it the same way that I've had the opportunity to do stuff, but as their authentic selves and be supportive and have their governing bodies there and start having these conversations with them and start seeing people in sport as well. And as we've already seen, we're not out there winning all the medals. We're not taking scholarships from people. And the amount of trans and gender diverse people involved in sport is such a small amount for many different reasons that we need to start having these conversations and be open be transparent and for me massively have a look at the people that are having the conversations in the spaces because we need the right people having the conversations and also with us not without us making sure that people's voices are heard that are involved in it
0: Absolutely. Well, Abby and Verity, thank you so, so very much for joining me today and and really just being willing to talk about these things, which obviously can be very difficult to talk about. But this was just such a wonderful and really enriching conversation. And just thank you so much uh, for joining me today.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for having us. It's been great. And
1: I think having these conversations are uh, they're hard, and I think the, the 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 type of conversations we need to be having at the moment.